All right, go ahead and be turning to Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11. And as you're turning, let's go ahead and review. Who wrote Luke? Luke, you sure? Yeah, all right. So who is Luke? Historian, doctor, musician. Cassie is not letting you get to jump on her today, Kayla. Physician. <laughs> That's right. Historian, physician, ministry companion to Paul. Um, so who's he writing the gospel to? Yeah. Theophilus and Gentiles, right. Who is Theophilus? We don't know. He's most excellent. He's most excellent. That's right. Other than that, we don't know, right? All right. So what's the purpose of the gospel? <clears throat> to give a what? A quarterly account. A quarterly account. Orderly? Not quarter, quarterly. That's right. Business meeting. <laughs> An orderly account of Jesus' ministry. That's right. And then Theophilus, so he would know that the things he was being taught were true. So, yeah, that's it. So, any questions? No? All right, good. Well, let me ask you this. Let me ask you a question. Y'all ready for a fight? Yeah. You didn't know you was coming here this morning to fight, but that's what we're going to do. We're gonna, that's that's what, exactly what's going to happen today. We're going to take the word... And we're going to hold it up to our lives. All right? The unfiltered, the unedited, the holy, the perfect Word of God. And we're going to hold it up against our lives. And we're going to take what God said in His Word, and we're going to compare it to our actions. We're going to compare it to our mouths. We're going to compare it to ourselves. And if you come here this morning with an open heart and an open mind, you could leave feeling like you've been in a 12-round fight. And, and, and look, that's a good thing. That's a good thing. That's not a bad thing. I'm not up here to beat you up. But if you do get pummeled today, praise God. Praise God for his conviction. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 13, test yourselves to see if you're in the faith. Test yourselves daily to see if you're in the faith. Examine yourselves. And so that's that we should all be doing that every single day of our lives. In our text today, uh, Luke, uh, Luke, here in Luke 11, it's a perfect opportunity for us to, uh, uh, to hold the Word of God up against our lives and see that if what we say, if who we say we are, if it matches up with who God says we are. Okay? So uh, if you're there in Luke 11, let's all stand now. Honor the perfect and holy Word of God. Luke 11, starting in verse 37. Now when he had spoken, a Pharisee asked him to have lunch with him, and he went in and reclined at the table. And when the Pharisee saw it, he was surprised that he had not first ceremonially washed before the meal. But the Lord said to him, Now you Pharisees clean the outside of your cup and, the, and of the platter, but inside of you you're full of robbery and wickedness. You foolish ones, did not he who made the outside make the inside also? But give that which is within as charity, and then all things are clean for you. But woe to you Pharisees, for you pay tithe of mint and rue and every kind of garden herb, and yet disregard justice and the love of God. But these are things you should have done without neglecting the others. Woe to you Pharisees, for you love the front seats in the synagogues and the respectful greetings in the marketplaces. Woe to you, for you are like concealed tombs, and the people who walk over them are unaware of it. Let's pray. Father, Lord, we love you. 
And Lord God, I come to you now asking you to empty me of myself. Hide me behind the cross, Lord, and fill me full of your spirit so that the words that are spoken here today would be the words that you would have your people to hear. Uh, I pray that every heart in this place is open, that every eye can see, Lord, if it be in your will. I pray that we understand exactly who you say we are. And we understand exactly who you are and who your word says that you are. Lord, we have a big task in front of us today, and that, and that task is to swallow our pride and to recognize where we may have gotten uh, gone astray, where we may have drifted away. But Lord, I pray today that if we have drifted away, you would set our, uh, our paths back right. Lord, I love you. I give you all the honor, all the praise, and all the glory now in the most heavenly name of Jesus. Amen. All right, so... Let's set a little context. Um, Jesus has been teaching lessons to his disciples. Uh, when we when we started this chapter, it uh, it began with Jesus teaching his disciples how to pray, and then he followed that up with uh, with power, and then he followed that up with opportunity. Uh, and now he's going to deal with the problem that we're dealing with today. Every one of us, uh, we, we in this room right now, is possibly dealing with this right now, and it's hypocrisy, right? Hypocrisy. And that's an ugly word. We, we don't like that word. We don't like to be called hypocrites. We don't like to think that we're involved in any type of hypocrisy. But it's one of the main reasons that unbelievers don't want to get involved in church. It's one of the main, uh, main reasons that unbelievers don't want to have anything to do with Christians. They'll say the church is full of hypocrites. <clears throat> They say that, and we all hear it when we're out uh, witnessing to unbelievers and, and sharing the love of Christ with them. We hear that. That's one of the most common things that we hear is the church is full of hypocrites. Billy Sunday, he replied to that statement one time. He said, uh, hypocrites in the church? He said, yeah, and in the restaurant down the street and in, 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 in your houses. He said, hypocrites are everywhere in all neighborhoods all over the city. The point is... Don't look through the church for hypocrites. You know the first place to look for a hypocrite? In the mirror. In the mirror. It, hypocrisy is um, it's disgusting when other people do participate in it. When we see other people um, as hypocrites, it's a disgusting practice. But when we practice hypocrisy ourselves, well, it's, uh, it's a little more tolerable for us, isn't it? Because we don't want to admit it. We don't want to admit that uh, we... Uh, that we've fallen into that, uh, into that, um, I don't know the word I'm looking for, but we've fallen into that path. But um, A.W. Tozer said, he said, a Pharisee is hard on others and easy on himself. But a spiritual man is easy on others and hard on himself. So what's hypocrisy? What is hypocrisy? Yeah. It's, it's the short answer, pretending to be something you're not. And that's why it's important for us, as I said, to examine our lives every day, to examine ourselves, to see that we're in the faith. Look back at our text, verse 37. Now, when he had spoken, a Pharisee asked him to have lunch with him, and he went in and reclined at the table. When the Pharisee saw it, he was surprised that he had not first ceremonially washed before the meal. But the Lord said to him, Now you Pharisees, clean the outside of the cup and of the platter, but inside of you you're full of robbery and wickedness. Now it kind of seems like Jesus is pretty harsh with his reaction here. Luke doesn't say, uh, uh, in the text, he doesn't say that the Pharisee attacked Jesus in any kind of way. 
you know, he doesn't say that he had even said anything out loud. He just said that the, the Pharisee was surprised that Jesus didn't observe what was an appropriate religious ritual. But Jesus turned to the Pharisee and kind of laid into him. And why do you think he did that? Why do you think he did that? What he was doing was confronting a dangerous and harmful lie, and that's the lie of hypocrisy. All right? The Greek word for hypocrite is uh, hypocritus. That's the Greek word. And what it means is play acting. That's what the word literally means, play acting. It refers to actors in a play who spoke from behind large masks. They took on roles in the play. They pretended to be other people. All right? So when we play act spiritually, we're not focused on God, but rather on people. The truth is that any spiritual looking thing we do in order to be seen by people so that they have a good or high opinion of us spiritually is just like this hand washing by the, by the Pharisees. We play act. So, so we're more likely to respond to how people think about us than we are to truly engage God. We focus so much of our time and our energy caring, caring and worrying about what other people think about us. In hypocrisy, it's not just something that the Pharisees did, either. It's not just something they did. All people, every one of us in this room, all people are tempted by the desire to, to pose as spiritual, right? A lot of times, whether we pose or not, our appearance depends on what? Who we're with. That's the truth. But listen, play acting distorts our relationship with God and with other people. Hypocrisy distorts that. When we play act, we're just acting apart for other people. And what that does, it creates a harmful situation. Because hypocrisy tells lies about who God is. It tells lies about who God is. And, and, and that will only turn people away from him when they, when they see how we're truly living. When they see the lie that we're living. All right, so Jesus' response to the Pharisees serves two purposes here. Number one, the Pharisees view this religious ritual of, of washing as spirituality. And then that revealed to Jesus just how far from God this man truly was and how hollow his life really was. The second thing is because his hypocrisy was harmful to other people, the Pharisee wasn't loving God. He wasn't loving God or other people. Does that make sense? You're following? So what he does here is, is he starts by talking about washing. That's what Jesus talks about. He talks about the, the cup and the saucer. And it's obviously a direct reference to the, to the hand washing issue. And hand washing, what that was, was something that, was a, that, that observant Jews did um, to show that they were religiously observant. Uh, but it didn't show anything about what was in their hearts. All right. It was just a ritual that they performed, and they, it was basically law, their law. you know. And Jesus exposed it by saying, Now then, you Pharisees, clean the outside of the cup of the dish, but the inside, you're full of greed. You're full of wickedness. And really, Jesus, he, he wasn't attempting to criticize here. His words, they're, they're pretty hard to hear for us. They were hard to hear for, the, for this Pharisee, but uh, they were meant for healing. Is what they were meant for. He tells them two. Th he tells the, the Pharisee two things here. He said, "God, God cares about both the outside and the inside of a person." He said, "You foolish people, did not, did not the one who made the outside also make the inside?" 
So he asked this question. He said, it's a question we should be asking ourselves every day. We should be examining ourselves daily and asking ourselves daily, do we really think that God is only concerned with our outward actions? Is that the only thing God is concerned with? Or do we think that God is concerned with the inside of us? He's he's concerned with what's inside of us and what's outside of us, right? Not just our outward actions, not just the things that we're doing that people can see, but what's inside of our heart at the same time. So, So if I'm helping a person, but I'm cussing under my breath every minute that I'm doing it, I might as well not even do it. Right? I might as well not even do it. Your inside has to match your, match your outside. You're not earning brownie points with God by doing things if you don't really want to be doing them. Right? Your inside has to match your, match your outside. So if your heart's hateful, then your actions are hateful. No matter what they are, no matter if they look to other people like they're good, they're to God, they're really hateful. Right? The second thing is Jesus says God will heal us if we offer him what's inside. He says, but now as for what is inside of you, be generous to the poor and everything will be clean for you. So here Jesus not demanding uh, some kind of legalistic offering uh, to the poor. But what he's doing is he's telling the Pharisees, um, he's telling them to offer up the things that are inside of them to God. And what that is is confession. All right. He says, come to God in confession. He says, bring your desires, your wicked desires, the ones that you hide deep down inside. Bring it to God. Confess your sin. Make them known. Bring them to light. Bring them to the light. Now, do anybody here think that God knows or doesn't know what you don't confess? Do you think God is unaware of the things you don't confess? No. He knows. We've talked about it before. Confession is about our being honest with God. That's what it's about. It's about our being honest with Him and breaking the walls down that that we've erected between our hearts and His. See, unconfessed sin, all it does is it, 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 um, it affects our fellowship with God. Because what we do is we think we're hiding something. We don't want to say out loud the sin that we're hiding in our life. And so that unconfessed sin just breaks our fellowship with God. We feel like we're hiding it from Him, but but we're not. He knows what it is, but the confession is what restores and heals that fellowship with God. It's our being honest and open with Him. Uh, I promise you, if you have unconfessed sin, it feels like God's a million miles away in your life. But when you're being open and when you're being honest with Him and you're laying everything out, those walls that you've built around your heart... He breaks them down. They're broken down. He tears the walls down, but be, when you're honest with him, because, I mean, this stuff he already knows. He already knows. You're not hiding it from him, right? So really, in the end, you're hurting yourself. That's all you're doing. You're not hurting anybody but yourself. Jesus here takes the, takes the, step, uh, the issue a step further from confession of what's inside, and he challenges. Uh, it's a challenge to love God. The Pharisees were observant. They were strict and observant in a lot of ways, but and they prided themselves in their tithing uh, here. They pr- even even tithing the herbs in their garden. In other words, they tithe everything, right? Everything, even the smallest, least significant plant in their gardens, they tithed. The tithe was uh, was given in order to help the poor, and the Pharisees were doing their part to help the poor. 
And that's something that wasn't insignificant. That was not insignificant. Jesus wasn't, he wasn't accusing them here of not doing their part or doing anything wrong by tithing. Right. That's not what he's saying. He's saying he, he was even saying, don't neglect it. Don't neglect the tithing. He says, woe to you, Pharisees, because you give God a tenth of your mint, rue and other and all other kinds of garden herbs. But you neglect the love of God. You neglect justice and the love of God. So here's the deal. He was exposing a heart issue. All right. That's what he was doing. He was exposing a heart issue. It's the hypocrisy of obligatory spirituality obligatory spirituality. Now what's that? Well, it's the tendency to say I did my part. I did my good deed for the day. That's what that is. A lot of folks think their good deed for the day is is to read their Bible. They think that uh, they get up in the morning still half asleep. They read four or five chapters and God's pleased. Um, and Jesus is not about re- you know, against reading your Bible. Don't get me wrong. He's not against that. He's not against good deeds or helping people or tithing. But he's against our tendency to turn spiritual things into an obligation. Turning spiritual things into an obligation that we can control. And doing that in place of love, of, of love for God or people. That makes sense. So when we take these spiritual things and we put it in the place of our love for God or our love for other people, that's when it becomes hypocrisy. When we go to great lengths to read our Bible, and we even go to great lengths to read it in a year, we start these year-long reading plans, or we go to great lengths to do nice things for people when other people are watching us, or we go to to great lengths to give money to to a church or to, to a missionary, and at the same time we hate our neighbor, that's hypocrisy. If our hearts are cold towards people or cold towards God, that's hypocrisy. We might as well not even do these things. Jesus' goal here in the, his words is not condemnation. It's change. That's his goal. He told the Pharisee, you should have practiced the latter without leaving the former undone. All right, here's the next thing. Jesus addressed the toxic effect of hypocrisy on others. He said, Woe to you Pharisees because you love the most important seats in the synagogues and the respectful greetings in the marketplaces. So what is hypocrisy? It's toxic. It's deadly. And he described the Pharisees as concealed tombs and the people who walk over are unaware. In other words, what their play acting did, what their hypocrisy did, is, is it corrupted people. It corrupted people because there's something that's obvious in us when we're hypocritical. We may not realize it, we may not know it, but other people see it when we're being hypocritical. Other people see the fakery or the hypocrisy of our, of our spirituality. Other people see the lack of love, the lack of compassion or concern, uh, or the lack of self-honesty. And here's why that's deadly. If you call yourself a believer and you're really just a hypocrite that's putting on a show, a bad show, then you're distorting the name of God to unbelievers. That's what you're doing. Y'all have heard Buffy say this before, uh, but Adrian Rogers said once there was there's uh, there's five gospels, the gospel of Matthew, Mark, Luke, John and you. But most people won't read the first four, which means as a believer God's put his reputation in our hands. What the believing world thinks about God comes from our actions and our words. So if you're a hypocrite, 
if you're play acting, calling yourself a Christian, but really you're acting like the rest of the world, what you're saying to people is that your actions and your words are the nature of God. That's what you're doing. So hypocrites defile and ruin other people's understanding of who God is. They distort His image. Think about it. If I'm, if I'm calling myself a believer, a follower of Christ, but I'm greedy, or I'm uncompassionate, I'm hateful towards other people, then that's telling unbelievers that, that, I, that I come in contact with that the God that I say that I follow is greedy and uncompassionate. Who wants any part of that? Who wants any part of that? The reputation of God is in your hands. So how are you presenting him to the world? We assume that the hypocrite is uh, the obnoxious person that, that we can see outright, that, that, that the person that it's easy not to like, right? The obnoxious, easy person not to like. But the truth is hypocrisy is in every one of us. It is in all of us. An outward performance that doesn't come from a committed heart that's worshiping and loving God is, is a whole lot easier a lot of times, and it feels better a lot of times, than confessing the sin that's in our hearts. Right? Putting on a show is a lot easier than in getting out and confessing the sin. It, it's a lot easier than really sacrificially caring about the needs of our neighbors. The approval of men can feel more real to us than the approval of God. How many of us have been guilty of that? But what Jesus can do is bring us into the presence of God who cares for us, God who delights in us, and who can change us. See, hypocrisy makes us into people, as I said earlier, who've erected this wall around us. It keeps the life of God and the ways of God away from us. But Jesus wants us to trust Him, to engage with Him through confession, through prayer, and to worship and to become people who know uh, the care and love of God. So here's the bottom line in all of this. We can try to impress people with what's on the outside. We can do that. We can try to impress people, but God knows what's on the inside. Jesus doesn't want to reform. That's not the only thing he wants to do is to reform a bad heart. Jesus doesn't just want to reform a bad heart. He wants to give us a new heart. Because that's what it takes. So there's two ways for us to stay pure in the world. Two ways. The Pharisees' way or Jesus' way. Now the Pharisees' way is to stay away from the things that are dirty. Pharisees' way is to, to say, don't touch this, or, or don't go near that, or don't pollute yourself. That's the Pharisees' way. If we never touch people that are messy, then we won't get messy. Like when you send your out, kids outside to play and you tell them not to get dirty, tell them, go, don't, go play in the mud, don't go play in the dirt. If we don't touch people that are messy, we'll never get messy. But then there's a Jesus' way. Jesus' way is cleanse everything you touch. Jesus stayed pure by purifying everything. So the leper, the sinner, the, the woman at the well, the Samaritan, the children, he said, give to the needy what you greedily possess. So this, this whole thing, this whole thing is about focusing on others and meeting their needs. Jesus cleansed everything he touched. He served the needs of others. And like the disciples, we're all called to be in the world, but not of the world. Right? The world's what? The world's hard. It's a hard place to live in. It's difficult. Our culture is, is shifting away from uh, 
Christian values. But the way forward for us in our Christian walk is is to keep the love of others as a priority. That's got to be our priority in our life, is is to be concerned with the welfare and the needs of other people. Lifting others up, meeting their needs. We can't be afraid to get dirty. We cannot be afraid to get dirty. It's hard. It's messy. It is. It's a lot messier to care about people than to care about ourselves. It is. But that's the Jesus way. That's what he did. And that's the way forward as followers of Christ. It's not to keep doing anything as a formality or as an obligation, but to always keep in mind the purpose why we do things. The purpose why we don't neglect people. That's what's most important. Right? Right? Let's pray. Father, Lord, Lord, we love you. God, I thank you for this word today. I thank you that um, that we're able to see exactly who you are and, and exactly what you expect from anyone who claims to follow you. See, God, you, you, you chose being as big as you are. You, you could operate any way that you wanted to operate when you created this world. But what you chose to do is operate through a body. You chose to operate through the body of Christ. And you chose to operate through the body of believers. So it's us that, that, that hold your reputation in our hands. It is us who, who present you to the world. And if our lips say one thing, if we say, I'm a believer, I follow Jesus, but we're, we're cursing people and we're, and, and, and we're not helping people and we're stepping over people to get the, the desires, the wicked desires of our heart, then God, we're showing the world that that's who you are. We're showing the world that uh, a distorted Jesus. Lord, let us not ever be guilty of that. Convict our hearts now, Lord. Cut us deeply so that our actions match our lips, so that our words match our hearts. God, I pray that for every person here today, and I pray that if there are any amongst us that don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior, Lord, I pray that the preaching of your gospel would regenerate dead hearts to life today. We love you. We honor you. We praise you in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, I've told you all this story before, but I ran across it again this week, and it kind of kind of hit me again upside the head, and, and I want to share it with you. Um, there was a, there was once a, a, an Indian tribe, and they were suffering with a severe drought. All right, it hadn't rained in months where these people were, so food was scarce. And so what, the, what was happening was members of the tribe, they were, they were starting to steal from each other because food was scarce. And, and that was the only way they needed to survive. You know, they needed to feed their families, so they would steal from each other. Well, the chief of this Indian tribe, he knew that this thievery, this stealing, would be the death of the tribe. He knew that's what happened. So he issued a law amongst his tribe. He said the next person caught stealing would be taken to the center of the village, tied on a pole, and publicly whipped. That was the law. So the next day, sure enough, somebody was caught stealing. So everybody in the village, when they heard it, they all gathered in the center of the village to see who it was. 
that was stealing. They wanted to know who the culprit was and witness the punishment. And everybody was shocked when they saw who it was. The thief turned out to be the chief's very own mother. So what was he going to do? He was kind of stuck in between a rock and a hard place. What was he going to do? He's a good chief, right? He was a good chief, so he couldn't ignore the law that he had just made the day before. He had to be just for his people. But then on the other hand, this was his mother, right? This was his very own mother who raised him. His very own mother. So she was old at this time. She was frail. The the whipping that he had ordered could kill her. It very well could have killed her. And he loved his mother. So what was he going to do? How could he let her suffer? How could he let her suffer? So what do you think he should have done? And here's what he does. He orders that her wrist be tied to the pole. He orders that uh, the whipping could begin. He calls the punisher over to step forward with his whip in hand. And right before he gives the order to start with the punishment, he steps in between his mother and the punisher. He stretches his shoulders across her back so her, her body was completely covered and underneath his own. And he orders that the punishment be carried out. And the whip fell, as the, as, the, as the cords of the whip fell, they fell on him. He absorbed the full brunt of her penalty. And in that act, he was both just in carrying out the penalty, but loving because he suffered it himself. That's what Jesus did for us. That's what Jesus did for us. See, we're all guilty of breaking his laws. Every one of us. Romans 3.23, it says that, that, that sin earns a penalty. And God is just. And that penalty has got to be paid. It has to be paid if God is just. And we know God is just. So that penalty had to be paid. But it's also clear in Scripture that God loves us and he wants good things for us. So he didn't want us to be punished. That sin's got to be paid. But he doesn't want us to be punished. So here's what he did. He declared us guilty because we are. He declared us guilty and he ordered the penalty to be paid. But then he came to earth and he took the penalty himself. Is that not loving? That is the epitome of love. He came and as a man he hung on a cross. He was buried in a tomb. And three days later, he rose from the dead so that the the God that we would worship was a living God. It wasn't some pile of bones in a grave somewhere, but a living, breathing God with a living, breathing word. So when Jesus was being crucified, he stepped in between us, the ones who are guilty, and God the Father who demanded the justice. So he absorbed the blows of our punishment so we wouldn't have to. How are you presenting him to the world? You see what he did for you? How are you presenting him to the world? I say that we're going to, as we start this time of invitation, if you have never come to a saving knowledge of Christ if you have never if you don't believe that you have ever been saved today's the day of salvation 
There's a reason Scripture says today is the day of salvation. That's because we're not guaranteed another minute, another moment, another breath. So if you've never been saved, let's have a conversation about it this morning. Let's talk about it. If you've been visiting with us a while, you feel like God's drawing you to Crossway, we can talk about that. We can talk about church membership or baptism. If you, if you feel like you've been saved but you've never followed through with believers' baptism, let's talk about that this morning. But take this time now, this time of invitation to, to come forward. If you want to pray at the altar, I can pray with you or you can just come and pray. But as, the, as you feel the Holy Spirit leading you, let's respond and respond now. Y'all stand.